The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. I want to tell you about someone you remind me of a great deal. His name was Stephen. He was small like you, but his heart was huge and the podcast was strong in him. He once said to me, Size matters not. That's how he talked. He would record episodes and riddles. Have you heard anyone talk like that back where you're from on the Dark Times podcast? Welcome back to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite Jedi looking to start a new school. Oh, and I'm Steven, your favorite little green guy. Well, you're not my favorite little green guy, Steven. It's Mike Wazowski. That's fair. There's a few green little green guys ahead of me in line, I understand. Yeah, Mike Wazowski's my favorite little green guy. You know what? That's, that's yeah, hard, hard to beat, old Michael. <laughs> Michael, yeah, that's what we call him because we're so close. We have some feedback from last week. First, we got some notes from friend of the show, Lil Literalist, on our last episode. Bullet points here. The trash compactor and Wampa scenes in A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back are horror as well. I, we, I was struggling to think of scary scenes in, in the Star Wars movies, and, and that, that, that those are that's right. I that's feel like correct. the trash compactor is very much more exciting than it is like horror, you know? It's definitely more of a thriller than like yeah, Luke does get pulled under horror. by a creature, though. That's fair. Yeah, a creature pulls Luke under the water, and that's that's horror. That scene fucked me up big time as a kid. I was terrified of that. <laughs> it was scary. The Wampa scene for sure is horror. Absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. Because there's a creature. There's a creature. <laughs> there's a creature. Forget whatever it. we said about horror last week. It's the only requisite for horror is is there being a, a creature. The literalist, <laughs> yeah, that's true, Stephen. The literalist also says forcing other people at your table into situations that they're uncomfortable with and didn't consent to makes you that guy. We all know that guy. We all do. Hopefully, we don't play games with that guy. I, I, I sure don't. Fuck. He says uh, he's quoting me here when he says, "You don't show the whole monster in the best monster movies, like the Wampa or the Dianoga or Jaws, which instilled audiences all over with a mild case of deathly terror of deep water." Um, do you know what he's getting at here? Yeah. Okay. Can you explain it to my baby? Brain? Well, you don't know what he's getting. Yeah. <laughs> what's what little literalist is saying here is that that's not always the case, which is fair. Oh yeah, certainly. Was it in the theatrical release that you didn't really see much of the Wampa at all? Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I'm not I willing to know. split Wampa hairs I on this know. one. But like Jaws is a good example because you do see the whole shark in Jaws. I mean, it's a shark. That's like, that's like different. Yeah. It's, it's a known monster, you know? Yeah. That's like just big, big spoilers. You know what a shark, <laughs> a shark. looks like? <laughs> uh, he also brings up the quantum ogre, which is an interesting, I, I skimmed this article, Stephen, and I, I liked it a lot. So I'm, I'm going to put this in my back pocket. It's going right back there. And, uh, and, and we'll come back to the quantum ogre later. I think, I think that's a, that's an interesting topic for, for episode discussion. So we'll be back. He for those says, who don't know, just the, the basic cliff notes version is it's the idea that whether a party goes left or right, regardless, they're going to fight the ogre because the ogre exists yes. on both paths at that same time. <laughs> yes. Regardless of whether the players suspect it or not. He also says, I think that narrative description is one of the, my weakest aspects as a GM. I've appreciated running Dawn Defiance because their descriptions are written for me. But that's one of the things that I need to do more during prep, since I'm not good at coming up with it on the spot. 
I think I've also spent so much time GMing online that I often just rely on the tactical battle map without actually putting in more description. Yeah, I mean, imagery is, is tough to to master. I, I still recommend doing it for online GMing because, I mean, that that sort of description can really get your players more engrossed in, in the virtual scene. And we all know how it, hard it can be to keep attention during an online tabletop game. Well, and then they're called visual aids for a reason, right? They're not yeah. supposed to be the whole focus of the scene. There's no, that is not your meat and cheese. That is the that is the Dijon mustard. Yeah, that's maybe the that's like the little bit of the lettuce wrap that you've wrapped your yeah. your meal in. Ooh, I'm getting hungry again. <laughs> uh, we got some more <laughs> feedback from Zoli Krolik. Zoli says, "Congratulations on your first year of podcasts. I've enjoyed them very much, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Zoli. We wouldn't be here without you. That's for sure." Uh, Zloy also says the four bullet points of horror are good techniques. One time when running a GURP, GURPS pirates game, I actually freaked Ooh. out a player with the description of a sea cave by basically using those. The game had no supernatural elements, but how I described what was just a pile of seaweed on a rocky outcropping in a partially submerged sea cave freaked out a player. They later told me it was cool. They got that reaction from the description. I emphasized the shifting light and shadows from sunlight reflecting through the water into the cave, the almost breathing like sound of wind blowing into the cave how the seaweed looked like tentacles slowly writhing in the shifting shadows, the sound of water dripping, echoing in the cave, environment, atmosphere, and tension, like we said last week. I didn't even have surprise, mm. but the player had their character flee the cave, trying to swim through the underwater passage out to sea. Failed to check, nearly drowned, but survived with help from the rest of the group. They labeled that cave Sea Monster Cave on the map they were making and never went back, just from a vivid description. And uh, Zoli also asks, what's the last Swissy book you need to complete your collection, Stephen? Well, first, Zoli, that that's a super great story. And even though you're in a campaign that had zero supernatural elements, you still managed to achieve that super spooky atmosphere that is what inspired, you know, people to tell these stories of, of sea monsters and stuff like that. I think that's really, really cool that you, you were able to use all those elements to get a real rise out of your player. And a lot of people are scared of the ocean. I've, I've learned, I, I happen to love the ocean, but I've learned as I've gotten to know more people, people just fucking hate the ocean a lot of the time. So <laughs> great, great work, Zoli. Fear of the unknown. Um, seriously, uh, as far as the last Swissy book needed to complete my collection, um, I thought I didn't have the coder book. I do have the coder book. Turns out galaxy of intrigue is the last one I need on my shelf, which, you know, fingers crossed, maybe Santa will bring it for me this year. <laughs> maybe if I'm a good podcaster. And we heard from our, our uh, long, long time listener, Al congratulations on a year. It's been a wonderful ride since day one. You two bring a lot of joy to the community. I'm glad Steven was able to get the Jedi Academy book. Now, good luck on getting the coder book. Oh yeah. The, thank you, Al. I, that was a mistake, but yes, I have the coder <laughs> book, need the Galaxy of Intrigue book. However, during my listen, it got me thinking, have you two talked about any of the other Force traditions? I think they're fun and a goofy way to spice up the game. I personally have been a part of one of those fabled all Jedi campaigns, and our GM has had several missions dealing with other Force traditions. I'm curious to know if either of you have made a character or have been asked about making a character using those traditions and how you handled it, or if you have introduced them during your games. Additionally, I think this would make a great build contest idea, minus the relatively busted Iron Knight and Shard conundrum, and of course, leaving out the Ang T controversial talent, Many Shades of the Force, also known as Grey Jedi is Win Be Evil with No Consequences. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> very good, Al. A wonderful email as always. Yeah, um, I, I thought of a lot of things when I read this email. Um, my very first campaign, the one that kind of diverged from Dawn of Defiance, I featured different force traditions pretty heavily. Every so often, the party would meet kind of a representative from really just a random force tradition. 
And I really wanted to demonstrate the differences in philosophy, especially in this, the wide gap between the Jedi and Sith. And so this was kind of cool and, and really helped shape the party. The, that party was very much headed by a very much a great Jedi who was only a little bit uh, great Jedi is evil when no consequences. <laughs> great great <laughs> Jedi is when I get to use dark rage for my own, my own benefit. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 That was, that was kind of her personal philosophy and it was a good one. It made for an extremely exciting campaign, but yeah, those different perspectives, those different philosophies I kind of brought in to help temper that great Jedi and, and kind of help her flesh out her own worldview a, a bit. It was a, it was a really, really great uh, uh, part of the campaign. I think I agree. But, Al, you asked if, if we had talked about Force Traditions on the show, and we hadn't. And I thought this was a perfect – Sam called it uh, a segue. <laughs> this, yeah, Al's email makes a great segue to our topic this week, which is going to be Force Traditions. Lovely. So I, I picked just a few here. There's I just picked three Force Traditions, of which I think there's like 15, 16. Not all of them have associated talent trees, though many of them do dive into these folks. Jedi Academy has a lot of them, but there's several sprinkled throughout all the books. Core Rulebook has not just the Jedi and the Sith, but also the Witches of Dathomir and the Gen Sarai, both very interesting. Uh, and if you've loved Clone Wars or really, you know, anything involving them from the past 20 years or so, you're probably familiar with the Witches of Dathomir and, th- and their whole vibe is, is really cool. We're, we're big fans of them on the pod here. But I picked a few that maybe have escaped your attention. And hey, if I missed your favorite, write in, let me know so we can cover them more because I actually had lots of fun looking at these. First is the Luca scene. These, this is a Mira Luca only Force tradition, though I'm sure if you ask real nicely, they might let you in, especially if you're a player character. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Some Mira Luca demonstrate an increased aptitude towards sense-based aspects of the Force. Uh, those listening may recall the Mira Luca are also a favorite species of, of Sam and I's because uh, players very close to us played them once. They, they're humanoid, very humanoid even, that they don't have any eyes. Where their eyes would be, the skin is just kind of grown over, forming a, a, a slight depression where their eye socket would be. Uh, and they mostly wear eye coverings because it looks a little spooky, a little disturbing. <laughs> Playable in the Old Republic MMO, if I'm not mistaken, and then uh, takes some pretty prominent roles in, in the expanded like Knights of the Old Republic like storytelling. But yeah, some of them happen to have an increased aptitude towards their force vision based aspects of their force sensitivity. Uh, those with the potential to do so are encouraged to join up with the Lucasine by their mentors, usually their their educators and, and professors and stuff like that. It's an academic society, which I found interesting. It, it seems to be one of the few force traditions with a strictly academic focus, the Jedi and the Sith kind of have, you know, that academic side to them. But this one is like more strictly all kind of all about just researching, sensing and, and gaining knowledge. They have light leanings towards mysticism and they participate in all fields of study. A good many Lucasine go on to join the Jedi order. When Amir Luka is suspected, I found this part kind of funny because it was kind of tacked on to the end of the paragraph there. When Amir <laughs> Luka is suspected of falling to the dark side, a Luka scene team called the Scene Seekers. <laughs> what are they, a fucking, it was a, a kid camp? What is this, like a summer camp? The Luka scene team called the Scene Seekers might search him or her or them out to alter the individual's path. If redemption is hopeless, these teams are accompanied by security personnel to help capture or eliminate the Darksider. So it's like an alumni society, but if you, you know, <laughs> are mean, they'd send the scene seekers after you. <laughs> they- <laughs> 
they they rescind your diploma to the Lucasine. Yeah, <laughs> forcefully. So the Lucasine talent tree is pretty cool. Your your average Jedi player is going to look at this and grimace and say no, thank you, because it doesn't involve hitting things faster or harder. But there's some interesting party tricks here that I think you can pull into a really interesting character. Uh, first up is quick seeing. You can use the far-seeing force power to roll against the will defense of the target. You gain a plus two insight bonus on attack rolls against that target until the end of your turn. This counts as using the far-seeing force power against that target. It sure would be nice if that was like to the end of the encounter. Yeah, because you lose the whole force power, huh? You, 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 that's a whole force power, which why not? Why not just blast them with, you know, why not just hit a force slam and get some actual <laughs> shit going on? Like instead of this, the but better hey. action economy usage you're saying. Yeah. But, and quick seeing here, of course, requires the far seeing force power. I would probably, there are definitely talents that give you a plus two until end of encounter on attacks against the target. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This, in fact, if you're at this, if you use this at your table, I, I think maybe you should extend this to the end of the encounter. I don't know. You didn't hear that from me though. You know, that's, that's, that's just, that's just something you heard. I think it would be totally fine if this lasted until the end of the encounter because it's a talent and you're spending a force power. Like, let's let, let's see some action here. Next up is field detection. As a swift action, make a DC 15 use the force check. If the check succeeds, you can detect the presence, general strength and origin or direction of origin. If the source is out of range of electromagnetic and energy fields within 12 squares of you. You can also determine the type of field, allowing you to detect communications devices, detection and surveillance devices, and other electronic equipment. It's the Geordi vision, is what I'm hearing. Geordi vision. Straight up Geordi vision. You get Geordi vision. Geordi LaForge from Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, of course. Yeah, now in case anyone was wondering who the hell Geordi was. Geordi's the secret third host. <laughs> the silent, hey guys. The silent me, third host, Geordi. Yeah. When dealing damage to a person or droid using a personal shield or to a vehicle with shields active, a successful check allows you to detect minute fluctuations in the shield, reducing their shield rating by five against your attacks until the end of your turn. That's pretty cool. Um, I like this talent for you, the the utility. Uh, This is probably the only talent that lets you do anything like this. I, I like the idea of using the force to perceive an interface with electromagnetic interference. The field detection sounds great for like a pilot. For real, for real. Or I was thinking like a, um, like a heist guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a hei- <laughs> the heist, a heist guy. <laughs> the heist guy. <laughs> Fuck me. There's a securities expert and he's blind. And he's blind. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. Jordy, you know. And then Lucasine master, which requires both field detection and the far seeing force power. You are a master of Lucasine techniques and an expert in using sense-related talents and force powers. Once per encounter, you gain a temporary force point that you must spend when activating a talent from either the sense talent tree or the Lucasine talent tree when using the farcing force power or on a use the force check made to search your feelings or sense force applications of the skill. If you don't use that force point, it's gone for good. Pretty nice. That's good. That's a real flexible one too, especially if you're popping lots of sense talent, lots of great sense talents, and then um, you searching your feelings can be can be useful too if your if your GM has read it, <laughs> or if you're using a uh, daily force points. This would be good. Good way. Definitely. Temporary force points for encounters are great to keep you from using force points that could be used to keep you from dying <laughs> instead. Oh boy, you sure know a thing or two about that, don't you? Sam? Yeah, I'm like traumatized. I'm- <laughs> We almost had a player death uh, the other day. Yeah, it was great. 
against the creature. Against a creature. It was like a good alien themed encounter. This is not the episode for it, obviously, but it was fun. No, we had a good time. Definitely not. We can talk about it another episode for sure. But it was it was a good time. Very very the alien. Very very creature. Very spooky. <laughs> Wardens of the sky. Do you know? I don't know anything about the Wardens of the Sky, Stephen. Wardens of the Sky. Sam, I haven't really heard of the Wardens of the Sky either, and I didn't really have the time to see what sort of fiction they appeared in. They might be exclusive to Star Wars RPGs. Um, Let me ask you a question. This question will tell you everything you need to know about the Wardens of the Sky. Have you ever wanted to play a vigilante space cowboy kung fu master? Yes. Well, then the Wardens of the Sky Force Tradition is for you. Wardens of the Sky live subtle, secluded lives. They walk among the masses in spaceports and shadowports across the galaxy, never revealing their allegiance. When they act, they rarely do so in an overt way unless it is truly necessary. One of the reasons that the Wardens are able to avoid notice by the Galactic Empire and the Sith is that they make themselves spectators and drift among the populace, appearing to be nothing more than ordinary denizens of the space lanes. Many Wardens take jobs as pilots and navigators on starships, allowing them to better patrol their sections of the stars, while appearing nothing more as typical crew members, Sam. Stephen. The wardens of the- What? (laughs) One, yes, they are exclusive to the Jedi Academy training manual. (laughs) And two, the picture for wardens of the sky from the book is insane. Is it the picture I'm thinking of? (laughs) Is it the one with the tweet like beating the shit out of two stormtroopers? Yeah, yeah, this shit's badass, dude. Picks that go hard. Feel free to screenshot, you know? That's great. That's exactly. That's not a tweet like you. That's something else. Oh, it's not a tweet like you're right. That's hair. It's like it's a near human with like elf ears and like hair. Wow. That fucking rule. Dude, that's so cool. It's so cool. Put this art up on the screen. I can't. It's not a kind of podcast. <laughs> but let, let the audience see it. I'll put it in the description. How's that sound? Okay, cool. Rock on. Yeah, no, it's it really encapsulates the... Okay, anyway, here we go. Yes, as we were saying... The Wardens of the Sky are also masters of unarmed combat, given the dangers of firing blasters on starships. Not that that's ever stopped anyone before. (laughs) Damn it, Chewie, don't, don't, I've got, I've got a... (laughs) You're shooting the engine right there. (laughs) The Wardens have... Thank you, thank you. The Wardens have developed their own combat style that relies on a combination of force, prowess, and martial arts. Additionally, this makes it much easier for the Wardens to do their jobs. They never have to worry about being disarmed, unless they're, like, cuffed or something. And they they do not carry identifying weaponry that their opponents can search for. That's pretty cool. As drifters and silent sentinels, being able to fight with nothing more than one's own body is a major advantage. That's awesome. These guys it's pretty are so cool. fucking cool. They're kind of badass. I thought they were kind of silly, but now that I've like, like read, read a little more and, and, and checked out. Anyway, you're going to like these talents. First one up is rebound leap. This feels like a pathfinder talent and you'll see why in a second. Whenever you reduce an opponent to zero hit points with an unarmed attack, you can make a jump check as a free action, moving a distance as determined by the results of your jump check. You can use the surge force power as normal to enhance this jump check, increasing the distance you move. So if you could just clock a motherfucker with your fist and immediately jump to the next guy to start clocking him with your fists (laughs) on your next turn, of course. That's great. Then there's telekinetic throw. Whenever you successfully use the throw feat, your opponent falls prone in any space you desire up to three squares beyond your reach. That is three times the normal distance granted by throw. 
Then there's the brutal unarmed strike, which requires the warden's a different warden talent, telekinetic strike. Whenever you roll the damage for an unarmed attack, you re-roll any dice that come up with a result of one. That's so good. So good. That's so good. Force sensitive brawler. I love. I love the concept already. Yeah, I really want to build a Jedi martial artist warden now. So you can be a Kung Fu space cowboy. With like a duster and... Yeah! I can see it. It looks great. The Agents of Ossus. I chose this one because I liked the name. I liked saying it out loud. I was sitting here in my room going Ossus to myself <laughs> over Why do you say again. it like Picard? Ossus. Uh, Ossus. <laughs> Come! Number one, the Agents of Ossus have contacted us. <laughs> they want us to join the Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Members of the Agents of Ossus focus on using the Force to aid their survival under the heel of the Empire. Living almost exclusively in urban environments, the Agents of Ossus develop Force powers that fit with their lifestyles. They use blasters and fly starships, and they are as comfortable in the concrete jungle of a city as a Wookiee would be in the true jungles of Kashyyyk. Wow. (laughs) Jungle. (laughs) They believe that they are the last torchbearers in a galaxy of darkness and that their ability to use the force and their willingness to do so is all that is keeping the galaxy from being plunged completely into the abyss of corruption fostered by the Empire. Though not necessarily engaged as dissidents against the Empire, by and large they choose to live outside the government's rules and regulations and they strike out on their own path even when living among law-abiding citizens. This one's got some pretty cool lore. It was started by like a student, a Padawan on Coruscant who managed to escape Order 66, like just barely, you know, like a, a dozen as others do. or so did. They really just did not clean up well. Huh? They just fucking <laughs> Real messy. Padawans Real messy. were just scurrying away like fucking rats, man. <laughs> But yeah, he started this. Like, there's a bunch of other lore. These are heavily abridged for for radio time. But honestly, if any of these sound interesting, do read up on them more in in the respective books or a certain wiki you may know about because they they are really neat. This one has a whole ass like story associated with it. The three talents I picked have to do with stealth. Very sneaky, sneaky guys, sneaky survival guys going on here. If 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 you care, Sam. <laughs> Buried Presence, you can spend a Force Point as a standard action to become immune to detection by the Force for one hour. During this time, you can always avoid detection by characters who are using the Sense Force application of the Use the Force skill, and you cannot be the target of the far-seeing Force power. That's cool. That is so cool. Right? Super cool. You may use this as a reaction to another character attempting to locate you with Sense Force, but before the character locates you. If you make a Use the Force check, the talent's effect immediately ends. Next one's Vanish. And again, this is only just a few of the... I just liked these talents that I'm picking. There's many other talents on these talent trees. Don't you forget it. You can make a use the force check as a swift action to vanish from the sight of a single target within line of sight. If the result of your use the force check exceeds the target's will defense, you gain total concealment from that target until the beginning of your next turn or until you make an attack roll or skill check against the target. Pretty cool. This is like... The stealth character's fantasy of just disappearing in plain sight right in front of someone. I love it. I love it. It only requires the force. You don't need to to train in stealth to even use this. It doesn't even require, like, cover. No. No, you you just have to, you can do it to hide from anyone within line of sight. You're just standing there, and then you aren't. That's wild. It's only for a few seconds, but still, fuck. Then there's Conceal Other, uh, which... Interestingly enough, works with the vanish talent. You'll see how in a second, but only requires 
the buried presence talent to to take. But anyway, <laughs> when you use either buried presence or the vanished talent, you affect one other willing adjacent target, granting it the effect of that talent as well. You can select this talent multiple times, and each time you do, it increases the number of adjacent willing targets you affect by one. Can you imagine getting like ambushed by some guys, and then all five guys disappear at once? It could happen. <laughs> and then it reappear and kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what if an agent of us is t- teamed up with a warden of the sky? Invisi- the warden of the sky just started kicking your teeth in. <laughs> like an invisible fist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way of the invisible fist. For real. Wow, Stephen. Well, thank you for picking out some of these. Uh... Oh, yeah. This is just a, a brief featurette of the whole sea of, of force uh, traditions out there. We, we may revisit this to, to explore its depths even Do further. Do you have a personal favorite force tradition? <sighs> That's a good question, man. I mean, I'm such a sucker for Jedi. You know, I'm, I'm such a fair. fucking That's basic fair. bitch. But like, I don't know, man. Witches of Dathmir are fun. Um, the Blazing Chain are Blazing really Chain's cool. Blazing Chain's really cool. <laughs> I really like the Blazing Chain. We should we should cover the Blazing Chain one day because I, I like them a lot. Iron Knights are fun too. I, I like Iron You've Knights. You've used the Iron Knights a, a bunch in our campaigns, that's for sure. I have. I, I, I really can't keep myself away from them. They're just, it's just such a fun. cool What about you, Sam? You, you got a concept. favorite? I'd probably have to say Iron Knights just because I love the the finickiness of droids and like the craziness of force powers all in one. Seriously. Yeah. It's like, do you want to play with two of the wackiest subsystems available in the game at the same time? Inquisitorious is also a pretty good one. I'm I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Inquisitors are badass. Good talents too on that one. Thank you so much for listening to dark times podcast from Sam and from Steven. Seriously. uh, Your guys' support is like massive um (laughs) it is the coaxium in our tank in our hyperdrive that that shoots us across the galaxy i'm sorry i'm no good with metaphors it's okay it's okay you're doing great Stephen. it's like a four it's like a binding force that surrounds us yeah, yeah, it's like the duct tape. It has a light side and a dark side, and it holds the universe together. Oh, that's great. No, but for real, um, this show isn't possible without your support. The show isn't worth doing without your support. Like, let's be real. If, if Alec, you think I, I don't really like Sam enough to get on here and like, don't tell them that. I, we should fake like a breakup. We should like fake like a a, a split. We got to get us. big enough. I will happily orchestrate an entire complex social media campaign where we like fake like like one day you just unfollow me, but I don't unfollow you. And then. Yeah, yeah. It should be. We should get like I like slept with your wife or something. <laughs> you know, it has to be something really fucking like small and. And like not worth having a, a fight over. Like you used okay, my dice um, at the at the tabletop. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, I used your dice without asking you. <laughs> we were supposed to be doing the break. Um This show wouldn't be possible without our listeners, and it especially wouldn't be possible without our patrons. If you join the Patreon with the link in the description, you can get either a sticker after being a patron for three months or a t-shirt and a sticker. I'm trying again to contact the Patreon support and they're giving me the runaround. You know how it is. I saw that. Uh, thank you for reaching out to them, Sam. Uh, we are so sorry, patrons. We really thought the whole sticker situation would be resolved by now, but we promise you, you have our word. 
One way or another, we're going to get those stickers in your in your grubby little hands. Those stickers Promise. and shirts are well worth the wait, and they are very nice. They look great. I They're freaking cool, man. We should get some for us. We should. You, you have one. Well, I want, a, I want a nicer one. <laughs> you, have, you have the limited edition I get the one, limited so. run, like, <laughs> beta copy of the shirt. That's fine. That's fine. For sure. But seriously, thank you to everyone listening. Uh, and even if you aren't listening, thank you, too. You know, in case you got to pick it up later, you know, save it for... <laughs> Why can't I just say a line without saying a stupid fucking quip? Am, am, I, am I like a Marvel character? Uh, they're listening right now, aren't they? <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Let's get you back into the show. Steven, what's Sam? Steven, I've got an invitation <laughs> to Grand Moff Tarkin's Menagerie. Ooh, let's open that up and see what sort of uh, creatures are being featured this time around. <laughs> the creature feature. Uh, it has, he has a little letter here from Tarkin himself. Oh, very nice. To whom it may concern. Oh, I feel like that's kind of rude. He could have just said. Yeah, he knows our names. <laughs> yeah, like, like we're on a first name. <laughs> like, I've met his wife and stuff. Like. <laughs> You are hereby invited <laughs> to my annual menagerie. I showcase the br- only the most dangerous and difficultly captured creatures. This letter is good for entry for one member and one guest. Oh, good. You'll be my guest then, Sam. Okay. Wait, well, it didn't, it did say to whom it may concern, and I opened the letter. I mean. Yeah, but, you know. Never mind. We'll 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 sort you know it. What? Out. It's kind of mean of Tarkin to not address us directly. I hope he dies in a space station accident, in some sort of radical, <laughs> like unexpected galaxy changing space <laughs> conflict. <Yeah. laughs> uh, we have some beasts for our beast bounty, Stephen. Bountiful beast bounty I, upon us. I'm so excited. I've already spoiled a few of these for myself, and I'm I'm I'm. Well, stop. Really, I really like what we got. Ah. <laughs> All right, stopping. Let's start. Zoy Krolik brings us the Doom Whale, Colossal Ooh. Aquatic Beast 8 Soldier 4. Normally, the Doom Whale charges up from the depths as the first attack, then tries to grapple any being within its reach using 10 points of power attack for greater damage. Its thick hide Ooh. protects it from other sea beasts like the ferocious Laser Squid as it gorges on anything small enough to fit in its toothy maw, the Razor Squid being another stat block that Zoy Krolik sent us that we'll probably go over next week. Ooh. I didn't, he sent in a twofer, huh? Well, the the razor squid is not uh, high enough for the bounty. It's too that that fry is too small. We got to throw it back. Good, good. <laughs> uh, I have attached um. So for all these beasts, I have attached a little description about them, the levels, and uh, the special qualities that each person made for them, or or the ones they took from the book, just nice. uh, for brevity's sake. Great. The doom whale has devour. If the beast hits with its bite attack against a target two size categories or smaller, huge or smaller, than itself, it can automatically make a grapple check with its bite attack at its full bonus, even if it has already taken a full round action. That's insane! So the full round attack and also the the grapple for the devour? Oh, I love it. If the grapple check is successful, the beast can begin devouring its target, and each round the target is in the beast's mouth. The beast deals damage equal to 1d8 plus its strength modifier plus half its beast level rounded down. In this case, 1d8 plus 21 because it's fucking colossal. Oh, that'll kill you. <laughs> that will kill you. That will kill you. If the target reaches zero hit points, it is swallowed by the beast and continues to take 1d6 points of acid damage each round. Amazing. The sonar... Uh, which Zilla Krolik has reskinned Tremor Sense for this, which makes sense for water, right? Yeah, that's perfect. 
The Doom Whale automatically senses the location of anything that is in contact with the sea and within 100 squares, no perception check required. And Thickened Hide. The Doom Whale can use Fortitude Defense in place of Reflex Defense against melee attacks except lightsabers. Is that an official trait? Thickened Hide? I think it might be. I like it. Whether or not it is, it's, it's a good one. It is. Very nice. Yeah. I like that. It'll be hard. I guess it'll be hard to tell which one of these are, aren't uh, official, huh? <laughs> Our next submission is from American Psycho. Uh, I love seeing that name every single time. It Such comes a great up. username. <laughs> they have the Pun Porgon. Tiny Shaped Beast 4 Scoundrel 2 Soldier 6. Oh, boy. A Yuzon Vong shaped porg larger than, not shaped literally, but... <laughs> But shaped yeah, by shaped the, by the Yuzan Vong. Yeah. Uh, larger than the ones on Octo. Trained as poisonous assassins to take out their unsuspecting owners. This is so creative. <laughs> He's a whole thing. I'll include in the description about these. But they're like popular among nobles and stuff. And then they, like the owners just end up dead because these things are really dangerous. <laughs> That's awesome. Poison. The Pun Porgon delivers poison through a bite, a claw, or a sting natural weapon attack. If the beast deals damage to a living target, the target is also poisoned. If the poison succeeds on an attack roll, 1d20 plus 10 against that target's fortitude defense, the target moves a minus one step along the condition track. A target moved to the bottom of the condition track by the poison is immobilized, but not unconscious. The poison attacks each round until cured with a successful DC 5, 10, 15, or 20 treat injury check. Uh, I don't think he says what's, what DC he picked on there, but please let us know, American Psycho. Yeah, probably 20 is, is appropriate for a creature of this level. The Pun Porgon also has concealed wing pouches. <laughs> They're bred to have an extremely difficult to find pair of pouches under the wings for concealing miniaturized razor bugs. <laughs> they gain a oh. plus ten. They gain a plus ten stealth bonus to conceal any item stored like in their pouches. Like little otters. They are little otters, aren't they? Little like land otter <laughs> porgs. For real penguin otter thing. Ambush. The Pun Porgon deals an additional two d six points of damage with its bite when attacking an enemy who's flat footed or denied their dexterity. Incredible. Incredible. That is adorable and very creative. Thank you, American Psycho. <laughs> Up next is Nick's Flesh Devourer. Medium Beast 6, Jedi 6. I read this first as Nick the Flesh Devourer. I w- and I'm like, they couldn't have gotten a better name. <laughs> the beast named Nick. <laughs> yeah. The Flesh Devourer is some sort of Sith undead. They can relearn the abilities of the creature they once were, even learning how to use the dark side of the Force to their advantage. Like their name suggests, they eat flesh. <laughs> ah! <laughs> they have heat sense. The... Flesh Devourer can detect heat signatures from anything within 15 squares using a normal perception check. They also have a special uh, ability called the Kiss of Death. When a Flesh Devourer makes a successful bite attack, the target may become infected by the disease that made the Flesh Devourer. For mechanical purposes, the Game Masters use the same rules as the Rat Cool disease, except they should increase the DC for identifying the disease to 25 and the DC to cure it to 28, as well as requiring a sample of diseased flesh from a Flesh Devourer for study. Being bitten by one of these creatures should be a significant event, and the party should have a difficult time attempting to not only discern what the virus is, but how to cure it. If a player is converted into a Flesh Devourer, they immediately gain 6 levels of the Beast class, drop their int score to 3, as well as lose access to whatever talents they had while they were alive. Additionally, a GM might wish to remove their access to particular feats immediately after conversion and give them back over time to represent the ability of the undead to gradually relearn what the host knew in life. That's creative. That's like, you can put a whole adventure in front of that thing. Absolutely. That's a whole adventure in itself, right? <laughs> Seriously. Throw one of these at your party, and then that's that's like three days. <laughs> For real. Up next, we have Ezekiel's Grookey Primate, a small Beast 10 Gladiator 2. 
These water monkeys swim and climb all over the buildings of Camino. They guard underwater caves filled with precious gems they collect. An alpha oh, grookey, nice. <laughs> an alpha grookey like the one Ezekiel brought us, often lead a pack of animals and help to direct fighting. As they climb over the buildings and ships, they have a better climb speed, but due to their fins, have a slower land speed. Just like a person with an endurance check, they can do the same above water. That's cool. They can they can do what? Above they can make an sprint? endurance check to like to sprint and stuff like that. Oh, I see. But they okay. can only do it okay. above water. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, I understand. They have the ambush offensive quality, like the Pun Porgon, which gives the plus 2d6 to attack. And the Pack nice. Hunter, the beast gives a plus 4 bonus instead of a plus 2 bonus when using the aid another action. Fantastic. I love the idea of just a small water monkey. <laughs> yeah, Aquatic Ape is, is really great. And something I wanted to point out, Beast 10, Gladiator 2, they fucking did it. The I, I wanted class. to know... <laughs> I wanted to know if there were, you could get a beast to multi-class into a prestige class, and Ezekiel fucking did it. it. Well done. Great. Uh, last but not least is Lil Literalist Wish Wish Shock. Can you say that, Stephen? I think yeah, Wish Shock is probably a good way to say say that. The, we We Shock We Shock We Shock, we shock maybe We Shock. Well, I like We Shock. We Shock. We Shock. For those unfamiliar, it's the it's big spider from Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, it's a huge beast. Twelve. The Wish Shock is an ambush predator that is capable of leaping down from great heights onto its prey, knocking them off balance before delivering a venomous bite which will seal the fate of its prey. Should it find itself having failed the initial ambush, the Wish Shock may battle on, preferring to keep at a moderate distance and use its web snare, charging it when it sees an opening. It feels threatened in the face of large groups and is apt to retreat when outnumbered. Special qualities for the Wish Shock are camouflage, its natural coloration changes to mimic its surroundings, it ignores its size modifier when it making stealth checks. That's pretty cool. The Wish Shock have a poison as well, just like the um, just like the Porg, the the, the Porg assassin. Their DC <laughs> is fifteen for the cure uh, to cure the poison, though. Nice. Also, they have a pounce when performing a long jump. The Wish Shock does not require a running start for jumps of four squares or fewer, and does not double the jump DC when doing so. If the Wish Shock successfully jumps into or an adjacent to an, a, a target's enemy square. It can make an immediate attack against the target. If the attack is successful, the Wish Shock can attempt to trip the target, as if using the trip feat as a free action that does not provoke attacks of opportunity. Also, inspired by the Energy Spider stat block, uh, Little Literalist created a web snare attack. Now, Steven, would you count this as an additional offensive quality? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, and we did. We did say one to three. Well, that's for, just what this the contest. that is. What the rules say. Yeah. If I had to drop one, I'd probably drop the poison. Yeah, honestly, if we if we had to drop drop the poison, keep the web snare. But the web snare is really cool. Why don't why don't you read off the web snare for us? Sam? Uh, web snare. A wish shock can shoot a bundle of webbing up to six squares as a ranged grapple attack. If it succeeds, the target must succeed on an opposed grapple check or becomes grappled. The target can free itself with a successful opposed grapple check or strength check on its turn. The webbing has five hit points, damage reduction fifteen, except against slashing damage, and has a break DC of twenty five. Amazing. And that's our beast bounty, Stephen. Really, really, really great showcase, folks. Incredibly creative. Yeah, what well, you guys really took off with this one. It was really cool to see not only something like the Wii Shock, which was like, you know, something from like the Fallen Order games, but also like batshit crazy stuff like a shaped porg. <laughs> <laughs> really, really hit everything in between. Um, like the shadow of the hedgehog of porgs. <laughs> For real. You guys should be proud. Uh, like always, there'll be a poll for our patrons to vote on your favorite. We're just here to show them off and to congratulate you guys for being so creative. The patrons decide which one they like best. Uh, that poll will be up with this episode 
We're, we're running low on time, so there probably won't be any killing me today. No, Stephen has plans after this, so he gets to live. Oh, yes, I know. fencing practice. <laughs> he has to go be an anime character for two hours in a sports anime about fencing. Uh, I like Utena. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Stevie. <laughs> and also, as always, the builds will be in a link in the description as well. Absolutely. We'll put that picture of the warden in, in the description. <laughs> yeah, too, the cool ass warden Academy, picture. It's, it's, it's worth seeing. It's it's badass. Steven, do you have any trivia for us this week? I don't. You don't. It's okay, Steven. Next time, you'll have to bring us double trivia next time. Okay. I can I can, I can well, abide by maybe that. maybe not. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Dark Times, a saga edition podcast. The show is produced and edited by me, Sam. Steven's my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Don't forget, all patrons get to vote for two weeks, um, for the next two weeks, actually, on the build bounty. It will be on the Patreon. You'll see a post about it. Any new patrons until the build, the bounty's over get to vote as well. So if you join that 5 or $10 tier. That poll will be up until Sunday, November 13th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific. Like Sam said, you can be a patron today. You can be a patron tomorrow. You could be a patron the night of the 13th uh, on either tier. 5 or $10 gets you your vote in the build showcase. As well as a cool sticker or t-shirt. Oh, and as well as a cool sticker or t-shirt if you stick around. If you stick around, yeah. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? Achuta. Cut, cut the episode right there, right when I say a chuta. What is? What? It's some what? fucking Hutties what bullshit. What does mean again? A it's chuta. a greeting. <laughs> the subtitles in uh, oh, apparently a chuta used to be a curse word, but the Mandalorian uh made it a chuta mean like a greeting. You know that is perfect for Hutties to have it be both a a, a swear and a greeting. <laughs> Corato, come a wall back. <laughs> a wanna wanga yeah, is no, my favorite hotties. That's, that's a greeting as well, apparently. Good night, everybody. Good. Stuka Crispo. That's Death Ooh, Watch. That sounds delicious. That's the Death Watch. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, a, stu- a Stuka Crispo. Mm, I could go for some Stuka Crispos. For real. All right, I'm ending oh, the recording. Man. Death Watch Burger and Subs. Ooh, Death Watch Burger. <laughs> My God. You guys want a Death Burger? <laughs>